Hello and welcome to episode 80 of the NFL Scotland podcast. The postseason picture is nearly complete. We're going to delve into the teams that have made the final 12. My name is Cameron Hobbs. And my name is Paul Mitchell. As well as some great team performances, we had a number of records broken on an action-packed weekend. We'll be sharing all of our highlights. We'll be chatting more about your suggestions for our weekly awards as we give out our Christmas belter, Bowfin and Bobag winners. We'll then look ahead to week 17 and discuss the final permutations that will make the last round relevant for a few teams at least. As ever, we'll wrap up with some news including confirmation of the prize for a McBookie Pick'em competition and some details of our next live event. But Paul, as ever, we kick off by looking back. Week 16 is in the history books, a lot of things. And I mean, first of all, let's kick off with how great is it to have NFL action on a Saturday evening? I love the college game, but when the college game stops, and this is where I like American sport, Cameron, they spot a gap and they fill it up. And that's what they did. They had a brilliant triple header of games. Now, these games are available on the NFL Network in America, but they were available to you in your local market. So you could argue it was partly to sell you know, NFL Sunday ticket, etc. But that was fine. As long as you can see the game in your area, I don't mind that. Of course, Sky carried all three of them. If anybody needs to know that Sky are showing Cinderella at Christmas or you can't spell Subway without the NFL, then, <laughs> honest to goodness, Sky, guys, I love you a lot, but you're going to have to try and vary these things, okay? Because they did my absolute head in. Um So, yeah, please just vary it slightly. But, yeah, three great games, really enjoyable, and it just plugs that gap where there's no Saturday college football. I think that's excellent. And I'm going to kick off by looking back at something that we pondered on last week and the very first game, and, in fact, the very first throw seemed to further add fuel to the fire (laughs) of the question marks around whether or not Jameis Winston is colourblind. Now, it's a kind of throwaway comment that I made in the the last episode. I had nothing to back it up whatsoever. But what I've done is I've actually gone back and let's have a look at the last eight games in which Jameis Winston has played, uh, the colours that were involved and the number of interceptions. And just, you know, to give a correlation here, right? So we go back to Seattle, Navy versus White, zero interceptions. Cardinals, White versus Red, two interceptions. Saints, Red versus White, four interceptions. Falcons, Red versus White, two interceptions. Jags, Black versus White, zero interceptions. Colts, Red versus White, three interceptions. Lions, blue versus white, one interception. And then an absolute plethora of them on Saturday evening as uh, more interceptions than Christmas cards is the, I think, the traditional pun to make it these opportunities. But that's exactly what happened because Jameis Winston giving that ball away. Still managed to do his yards, still managed to get touchdowns, still managed to keep the Buccaneers in this game against what was a really disappointing Texans offense. But the Texans win the game, clinch their fourth FC South in the last five seasons, and I'm pretty now I am pretty convinced that Jameis Winston is red green colorblind. It's interesting. So you're looking at navy against white was zero, and black versus white was zero. So really strong comparisons between the two. Uh, but yeah, if he's playing red or a pale blue, it doesn't seem to work. It's very interesting. Now, he must have been tested for this. I would love to know for certain. But what do you do if you're 
you know, if, if you're Tampa, do you try and wear red, but the other team wears white? That doesn't work for you. Um, if you wear white and other teams think that he's got colorblind, so if you're the Falcons, you obviously go red, not black. It's quite an interesting one, that. But again, it just shows, and we also talked about it on last week's pod, can they actually afford to bring him back? You know, do they just franchise tag him and just see if another year works? Because he is an utter bomb scare. Um, you know, he can throw the passes, he can throw the yards, but the interceptions are utter killers. And we saw that again at the weekend. I mean, the number of times, I mean, to be fair, he can throw interceptions almost anywhere, London, Tampa, doesn't really matter. But if I was a Tampa Bay fan, I would like them to move on because I think this is all you're ever going to get from them. Yeah, and I mean, it's 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 a problem. And it's whether or not Bruce Arians thinks that he can fix that problem or improve it. But it's a problem that hasn't gone away. It just hasn't gone away. It's a fascinating one. And there does seem to be talk about them extending his contract. It'd be interesting to see what basis that's on, whether it's a one-year prove-it sort of situation, or whether they do think he's got the upside that they're capable of. Now, we spoke last week about, you know, you could tackle this by improving your defense and making the whole game be around the fact that you're going to give the ball away. But you know what? Ultimately, it's going to balance out because over the whole game, you've got solid defense that can make up for it. But if you're going to do that, then you're going to have to sort of take money away from your offense. And it's not like they've got a plethora of players there. Um, Obviously, you saw with uh, no Mike Evans, no Chris Godwin, there wasn't a huge amount of options there for Jameis, which probably didn't help the situation any. But, you know, you look at some of those throws and they were just terrible throws. They just were stinking bad. Uh, Certain ones that he's making, you're like, what are you doing there? You know, you're just asking for trouble. Uh, It is an interesting one. And with the Saints so dominant in that division, the Panthers are going to go through a rebuild. You've got to think the Falcons have enough talent about them as well that they're not going to be that stinking for that long you got to wonder how long the Buccaneers can put up with being fourth in that division of four. Um, an interesting one ahead. Absolutely, but the other games were great, weren't yeah. they? I mean, if you look to the fact the Bills-Patriots, Patriots didn't run away with it. 11th straight AFC East title. Brady played particularly well. I'm not going to mention anything else on this game till it comes to the ball bag. Yep. award. I'm going to say no more till it comes to the ball bag. And then the Rams 49ers, how good was that? It was a great game as well. It really was a good game and uh, and obviously a lot closer than the sides were when we met them in LA. A really important win for the Niners and ultimately puts, them, puts for San Francisco in the driving seat going to Seattle uh, for week 17 and we'll come on to that game in a bit as well. But um, you know, that might ultimately not count for very much. So uh, interesting to see what comes of this one. But I thought it showed character and it showed game management. Uh, I've been critical of Cal Shanahan and his game management at times. I think that where Shanahan is particularly good is coming up with the plays to get progression. He, he's very good with the, the creativity, but there's maybe some question marks about game management. The fact that all the defeats that we've had this season, all three have come on last-minute plays and things like that, that's sort of an area you felt you know we could possibly be better at. This was a flip of that, and I actually thought it was really excellent game management by him uh, to ultimately get the win. Robbie Gould steps up, and once again, though, it feels like every single Niners game uh, for the last two and a half months or something has been settled by three points or less. They've been close games, all of them. Yeah. Um, and it's not good for your nerves, let me tell you. 
So <laughs> I um, for that one, I was actually up in Aberdeen. You might have seen a couple of tweets about that. Up I looking did. at a venue for a potential event next year, which went really well. Met up with some fans up there. Uh, met up with Shona and Duncan, who've been on, been on this podcast before. Both of them involved in 99 Yards. So big shout out to them. A couple of other guys that we met up there as well. Really good night. Uh, good sit down watching the game thankfully we well thankfully it was on mute because it was a saturday night and it was a busy pub so we didn't have to put up with all those cinderella adverts so you know if, uh, if you're looking for a silver lining that's it right there um and then got the train down on sunday morning downloaded the game on game pass which is an excellent way to watch the game sat on the train and watched it on the way down uh, obviously got a bit shifty a bit uneasy towards the end of the train journey but it was uh, i managed to get through the whole game on the way back from aberdeen to edinburgh uh, and i left that train in a buoyant mood uh, the hangover was uh, blown away by robbie gould and his 33 yard field goal win um, happy happy days so i have a question for you yes what have a calendar a toothbrush and the rams got in common what have they all got in common yeah they're good for only one year, right? Uh, you keep your toothbrush for a year, jeez. I, I just trying to think. Of, it was M- I, I give credit to NFL memes for that. I couldn't remember the fourth one, but I'm sure that's what they said. So, of course, I give a toothbrush for a year. I'm Scottish, right? But that 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 was a great game, and I think that it was just good. I think when you you're trying to showcase the NFL. Um, I think that was ideal, and I thought they were really close games. I mean, Sunday was quite interesting as well, because I was watching Twitter, and quite a lot of people were lighting up on the Saints struggling early against the Titans. But you know what? And and I have this rule, the same with my fantasy team. What happens in the first quarter actually doesn't bother me, because I've been following this game long enough to know that you can have an electric first quarter even a good first half, and it can all go to hell in a handcart after that. I've seen enough games, you know, where things can change. I never really worry too much about what happens in the first quarter. And sure enough, the Saints hit their stride and took care of the Titans, who are still alive in the playoff picture. Uh, but I find that it, that was quite an interesting game. But let, let's get on to that playoff picture. Did you see the Steelers losing to the Jets? But then you start a quarterback, you pull them, He's, you know, you put in another one, he gets injured, and you've got to put the guy back in again. It's, it's just been incredible for them. I think they've done really well, but this, it just proves the difference between a team having a genuine backup quarterback like the Saints and Teddy Bridgewater, and somebody like the Steelers with Rudolph and with the Duck. It just doesn't work. Indeed, it doesn't work. And the Steelers have put themselves on the back foot for this as well, because although the Titans lost to the Saints. The, the the Titans really have it all in their own gift to to win, beat the Texans and progress into the playoffs. Now, interested to see this is and this is the story. This is why everybody's fantasy season ends on week sixteen because now we come into week seventeen and already John Harbaugh has said that Lamar Jackson will not play and numerous other stars will not. And you could see as Andrews was limping, Lamar Jackson was limping. Obviously, Ingram picked up an injury. There is definitely reason to rest those players, even with them having that extra week off. They've now got two weeks off. They can go rest up. They can get themselves fit. And the type of football that they play, I think the two weeks is probably more important than momentum because they've been on such good form. That two-week rest means that they're going to be able to come back and be fit and ready and 100%. I think that's going to count an awful lot more than playing. Though, 
sometimes it does backfire on you. It only backfires if you lose. Simple as that. Whichever way you approach it, you'll only get criticised if you lose. Now, I would like to confirm to everybody out there that we will be here on week 17. Uh, the rumours of Stephen Thompson and Michael Stewart doing the podcast next week are untrue. It's going to be you and I. <laughs> I don't know if that's necessarily the A-team or not. <laughs> I'm saying nothing. Oh, I, yeah, I, I do have a, a joke, but I'll, I'll need to share that offline because right, okay. it's one of, one of these jokes you could insert anybody's <laughs> name. But I, I, you know, I, happy Christmas both Stephen and Michael, who are obviously loyal listeners. Absolutely. Uh, we enjoy their well, regular feedback. Um, but uh, no, the well, Texans can. The Texans have still got something to play for in this playoff game. And that's yes. the thing that, that was coming around to. So the Texans themselves do have something to play for because. Although it's interesting because Kansas City, if Kansas City lose and the Texans win, then Texans can move up to the number three AFC seed. Um, if the Chiefs lose to the Chargers, which I'll be honest, seems unlikely, but then the Texans beat the Titans. So here's the thing. The, the, te the Texans-Titans game kicks off at five past four, so they're going to know the outcome at that point. Do you, as Bill O'Brien, play your starting team and risk injury against a Titans team that are battling to win their place in the playoffs in their own hands. If Kansas City have already won, and it means that you can do no better than the number four seed. This is where sporting integrity comes into it. And this is where the NFL, they've got enough clout for all of this. And even the TV companies, etc., etc., you have got to line these games up. Nobody should have an advantage. I disagree with it when it happens in rugby. Yeah. I disagree with it here. You have got to, on the final day, you've all got to fire together. You know, group the games if you must, but, you know, everybody that, that means something should be either playing at one or six. Now, I then accept you've got, you always then have a Monday night game and a Sunday night game. Now, they are exceptions to the rule. Yeah. But, by and large, in the the Sunday windows at one and a half four, you've got to be able to align them up. I don't think anybody would accept two games being played on Sunday night football, and I don't expect anybody would expect that on a Monday night either. But I think you could go and basically say, look, because of this, you know, it's a three hour kickoff change, whatever, doesn't matter. That's what we're doing. That's how you're going. And even if you had to split Sunday night football and do that, then again, do that. But again, the downside to that is other networks don't want to be left with dead games. So, I mean, it is difficult on the TV, but by and large, you should be playing at the same time. Yes, no, totally agree. And you're right, the integrity comes into play, especially when the permutations are minimal in that it doesn't change a huge amount, but it is a difference between a number three and number two. You know, in a way, the Chiefs can, if the Dolphins somehow manage to beat the Patriots this week and the Chiefs win, they could end up being the number two AFC seed and get a bye. If they themselves lose the Chiefs, they could end up being the number four AFC seed. Um, yes. The Texans can't jump any higher. So the, the Patriots could lose, the Chiefs could lose, and the Texans could win, moving them up to third. So, I mean, that's where the permutations are. The only thing um, with the AFC that's really interesting is that final wild card slot and I think that's the story that for me is really interesting so you know you're looking at the Tennessee Titans you're looking at the Pittsburgh Steelers you've got an outside chance for the Oakland Raiders in there as well and I think that's the really interesting one so you know let's talk about the Texans go out and they do play the Titans and they beat them that's fine right the Steelers come up against a reserve 
Ravens team with a bunch of guys who are trying to stake their claim. The Steelers aren't exactly in fine form themselves. If they lose, and then if the Colts beat the Jaguars, which doesn't seem that ridiculous, if the Raiders then manage to win their game against the Broncos, then they're in the playoffs. It's incredible, isn't it? I mean, they had a whole series of scenarios they had to get through, but they are getting there, and it is working. And I loved John Gruden's press conference because he was still going on about the decision the previous week against the Jags, you know, because he's basically saying, you know, we shouldn't be eight and seven. You know, we could be nine and seven. You know, we could actually be leading this thing, um, you know, and, and all the nine and six, I beg your pardon. You know, they could be there. And, you know, but everybody would then say, well, you all get a bad call here, there and everywhere. I just thought the calls against the Colts were particularly poor. It's just another example that the refs have got things wrong. And this is at the sharp end. Now, you could have argued that could have happened week one or week two, and it doesn't matter so much, but it matters a heck of a lot here. Personally, I think the Titans would give Kansas a game. I think Oakland could give Kansas a game. I'm not convinced Pittsburgh would necessarily give Kansas a game. So I think the strongest team out of it are, is, is the Titans. And the Titans under Tannehill can score and they could take it to KC. So, I mean, as it stands at the moment, it's Titans, KC, Bills and Texans. I think they'd be a couple of good wildcard games. Yeah, no, absolutely. So what we'll do is there's a whole load of records being set and we'll we'll come on to them and discuss them in our awards section because I think there's there's a whole load of people would be up for the belter of the week just because of what they've achieved. Before we do that, though, we have to give some credit, I think, to the games that took place in Washington and Miami. You know, we put them both into our pick six games, but, you know, last week we were like, oh, these will be, you know, honking games. And fine, it was games between teams that have been disappointment, but the games themselves were anything but. Oh, they were both great. I mean, I, I'd gone for the Redskins in the pick six just to go opposite. And I just thought with that home advantage and the way they came back, I thought they would have seen it out. But it does lead to a pet peeve. Now, I know they changed the overtime rules to say if you get the ball first and you score a touchdown, you win. Whereas previously, um, you, you only had to score a field goal. Now, if you get a field goal, the other team get the ball back. Let's just go the whole way. The Giants have scored a touchdown on their first possession give the ball to the Redskins and see if they can do the same. I don't buy into this only one team getting the ball in overtime. I think it's highly unfair. It comes down to a coin toss. To be honest, I think if Washington had won the coin toss, they would have gone down and scored because at that point, nobody could stop anybody. So I think the competition committee, Cameron, I don't know what your thinking is, but I would have a look at that. Yes, I've long advocated for this. I do not think the rules are right. I think that it's unfair and it's an NFL team is made up of three teams it is made up of a a specials team an offensive team and a defensive team and in essence in overtime if you don't get the opportunity to allow all parts of your team the chance to perform you're you're not you're just not doing them a credit that is a third of your team aren't involved purely because the special teams you're asking them a lot to, to score a touchdown or, you know, try and prevent yards. And then, obviously, your defense goes out there. Now, all it takes is a, a player to slip or a slight bit of blown coverage. One little thing, and suddenly the game's over. At no other point in the game does that come into play. So it's just, yeah, I, it's a frustrating rule for me. I think that it what it does is it puts 
extra value on that coin toss. That means that the coin toss, if you are an offensive-based team and you haven't spent as much or as focused as much on your defense, it means that the most important thing for you is to win that coin toss. And surely more important than that is just have the opportunity to play to your strengths. It makes it a more entertaining game. For me, I like, and you said it uh, on a message on Twitter that we've got, but um, the college rules. I think the college rules are brilliant. You know, each team starts at the 20-yard line and they get the ball, they get the opportunity to score or get a field goal. At the end of that play, it goes to the other team and it's like a penalty shootout. And yeah. it's, you know, you, you have to match. If you're the second team, you have to match what the other team's done or better it if you want to win the game. And there's been some thrilling games. I remember the LSU-Texas A&M game from last season in college was a brilliant ending to the game. And people will sit up and watch that and it will keep them going. It's fascinating. It, it, it brings out and it allows, okay, fine, it doesn't allow your special teams really for anything other than a field goal. But what it does do is allow every part of your team the opportunity to show what they're capable of. And the team is made up of all three parts. So I think it's definitely something they need to look at. I know that the focus this year will probably be on the pass interference, challengeable calls and the sort of mess that that's been. But I continue, and I will continue to say, and I'm going to stick to my guns, that overtime rules should at least be changed to what you said, that if one team scores a touchdown, the other one gets at least a chance. But ultimately, I'd like to see the college rules fully applied to the NFL. Yeah, I think it'd be great fun. It would be great fun. Talking of disappointments, how about them Cowboys? Oh, dearie, dear. Just absolute. And do you know what? We'll, we'll take this, and I'm going to use this as a segue to go into our uh, award nominations because the, the Cowboys have been a theme uh, with the people getting in touch with us on this one. And rightly so, because it was just... I was so excited to sit down and watch the game. I thought this could be thrilling. And the Cowboys just did not show up in any shape or form. Really, really disappointing all round. So let's go through these, right? And we'll start first of all. I'm going to do them in order from top to bottom. So okay. Polly is first up. He says, Merry Christmas, everybody. To Cam and Paul, have a great festive season. Uh, but I'm leaving you to fight over who is Santa and who is Scrooge. I think we know the answer to that one. Um, <laughs> belter for him. Lots of record breakers this week. Well done all. His belter throws the Colts punter, Naeem Hines, for his two touchdowns on special teams. Absolutely brilliant. Bowfin for him, though, was Steelers backup centre, BJ Finney, for not only being ab- unable to perform his task he's paid for, snapping the ball, but also tripping his own quarterback, in the process. Um, Bobag for him is Vernon the Bird Butler. Now, there's a couple of them for him, um, but other than that, it's predominantly the, the Cowboys that come through. We'll talk about Vernon Butler briefly, because that was a special moment. Um, struggling down the field with Mike Glowinski, uh, he then, the two of them have a bit of a tussle, he falls to the ground, he gets up, he sees Doyle on the ground, and punches him in the face. Um, not a wise move at any point, but to not even punch the right guy that you were just tussling with, and then to flip your finger at the Colts fans as you're being escorted off because you've been ejected from the game. Yeah, that, I think that's the epitome of ball bag behaviour. Uh, unbelievably so. I mean, I think what you, I know guys get upset and you get passionate and things, but why are you punching somebody in the helmet? <laughs> Well, now, careful how you say that. Uh, yeah. yeah, well, exactly. Well, you'd probably be better off trying to punch them. Uh, it's just, it's it's an incredible, it's an incredible thing to watch. And I think, 
you know, I've got some sympathy for for the guys that once the red mist is there, nothing but nothing takes it away. Now, if you've played sport, to, it doesn't really matter at what level. If you were fiery, and just sometimes that red mist came down, there's nothing you can do to let it go. Something has taken over your body. Now, you need to learn how to control it. You need to learn how to be responsible. I've no doubt about that. But we see it in the NFL. Sometimes somebody is just gone. I mean, Odell Beckham Jr. didn't look too happy, did he, when he was throwing his helmet no. around? No. Uh, either. And again, I'll, I'll use that in the equipment sense. But <laughs> we're, we, we need another word. I don't appreciate <laughs> how, difficult, how difficult this is. Now, you know, so again, I think there's a fine line between somebody displaying passion and perhaps the red mist comes through passion and, and trying really hard. And I think there's a difference between somebody just being a ball bag. And he was an utter ball bag yeah. there. Again, he's not just letting, I mean, it's the old story, he's letting everybody in his team down, as well as making himself look an arse. And if there's nothing else, you know, the thing that would probably make me behave is knowing that there are six, seven or eight of, you know, the 20 or 30 cameras trained on you to get you, you know, being marched off in so many different directions. So what you don't see on the television, you know, will get replayed down later and kept and used in montages and things like that. So you see yourself getting ejected from multiple angles. And it's just not a good look on anybody's on anybody's team. What's come with it is the old trope as well that comes out with these things, where it's not my character. It's not in my character to be like that. Which I, see, I don't... See, Sorry. I get, sorry, Cameron. I get that. I'm the angriest, narkiest little guy in a football field that you'll come across. Now, I wouldn't say boo to a goose. Yep. But when I'm on a field, I want to win. And, you know, and as long as everybody's trying equally as hard as I am, that's fine. But if there's people coasting or people not caring uh, when I was in a team, that that would rile me up. So, and that's not my character. So I do get that. I mean, it's a trope to a certain extent, but people are out of character. I mean, some of these NFL guys are the nicest, gentlest people in the world, but once you've got the pads on, they're ready to kill their opposition. I mean that, I don't mean that in the literal yeah, sense, but, absolutely. you know, so sometimes it is actually out of character because it's not what you would see. And I think there is a difference between how somebody is in their life and how somebody reacts when they're playing sport. And as I say, I was a narky wee sod when I played sport. Um often get into trouble with referees for it, which is then pot, kettle and black because they're now referees. <laughs> um, you know, but look, no, I totally, often... totally get it. And I think that yeah. for me, it's not so much. So I don't, I don't doubt that it's not in his character. I think the thing for me is it's such a pointless thing to say because nobody ever says, oh, well, it's my character. Um, you know, there's no other, there's no flip side to that. Um, yes. It's not really in anybody's character. What it is, is everybody has a level at which something will happen that will result in a reaction. It's not anybody's character. That's just how we're all built. There isn't a person in the world that doesn't have some point where they're going to react and strike out, whether it be in defense or whether it be an attack or whether it be whatever. Anybody is capable of something like that. It's not about character. It's about being able to go, so rather than go, oh, it's not my character, um, because of course nobody's even questioning it. What it is is say, I reacted really poorly. Uh, something happened, and my decision at that point 
was terrible. I will learn from it and I'll move on. But it's this just it's not my character. It it clearly is because you just did it. What it is is that something happened that triggered that part off you. And what you need to do is, if you're worried about that happening again, is you need to figure out how to recognize that and then stop. To your point where I bet you were told by a referee you're being a bit narky and you would probably know the signs of how narky you could get away with without getting ejected. And ultimately, yeah. that's what he's going to have to do. But it's just, so, yeah, think, I'm always I, a bit like, oh, it's just a throwaway comment that doesn't mean anything because it's not anything. But no one's, no one's ever come out and said, sorry for getting sent off, but that's me. <laughs> it's just see, that, that's as good an explanation as I've heard on that, and that that is brilliant. As, you know, and you're you're absolutely right. It is it is people's character that's how they are and we all have our thresholds and we all tip over them so no and i must admit you know going forward that that's certainly how i'll try and frame it is yes it is he might not like be like that in the street but that is the character they are as a sports person um and therefore they've got to do something about it absolutely Absolutely. yeah yeah if if you're not capable of throwing a punch you're not capable of throwing a punch it's as simple as that and if you're capable you're capable it's just the triggers that the the point of the threshold that pushes you over that edge so for for me yes i agree with you i think though coming back to the point it was just straight up ball bag behavior he reacted he reacted badly he punched the wrong guy in the face he swore at a colts fan or two as he left the field just a bad day overall Ball bag. Um, he may. Um, I'm not. I'm not sure if he gets suspended or not. Now on the back of that, he may not even play week 17. He's out of contract, going into free agency. That might come back to haunt him when it comes round. Uh, and I guess that's where some of those character things, obviously, the, that's what those quotes are for. It's not for anything other than I'll see you when I'm a free agent. Uh, don't use this against me uh, and pay, <laughs> pay me, please. So, so yes, right. Um, we move on. Matt McLachlan, he's got very similar belter. Hines of Indianapolis Colts for his two punt down, two punt return touchdown, sorry. Baufin are the Dolphins and Bengals defences, which is a fair one. Both as useful as a trophy cabinet in Minnesota. Winking face. Ouch. Yes, I think Matt was quite pleased that his Packers managed to get the win. Um, the ball bag for him was also Vernon Butler. Now, Stuart Taylor, his belter is Danny Dimes with his five touchdowns. To be fair to Daniel Jones, he played well, obviously coming back in after Eli had sort of done a pretty good job. You know, Jones did what he needed to do. Uh, Bowfin for him throws Matt Patricia's handling of the Lions' uh, defense. The Lions, now, it's a difficult one because we talked about this with Patricia and we were saying, well, I certainly felt that there'd been some progress. But this is now 11 losses in the season is the most they've had since 2012. I don't think the Lions are going to move on from Matt Patricia, but he really needs to sort things out. I think he gets a bit of a pass because of the Stafford injury, but he's really going to have a tough third season and he really needs to see progress there. Absolutely. This, I mean, he, he either delivers or he's gone next season. I think it's the right thing to do to bring him back. Now, I say that as a non-Lions fan looking from the outside, so I would appreciate, you know, if Lions fans get said to me, you don't know what you're talking about. You know, we see him week in, week out. We don't want him. I would understand that. But from the outside, I would bring him back or you're just starting again. Yeah. Um, and Stuart's ball bag. And I think this is one that you might have been wanting to talk about. Julian Edelman for faking a head injury. Well, it's not that wasn't the one, right, but okay. you know that that does count. Can I just just to finish up on, on Dallas? Mm. It was brilliant the buses got stranded at 
Lincoln Financial Field after the game because their plane wasn't working. So they didn't go to the airport. So I thought that was quite funny. Um, you know, Dallas going nowhere in Philadelphia just seemed to be <laughs> the metaphor that we were all we were all looking for. No, I listened to the game on Saturday night, New England against Buffalo. I could not find a Buffalo Bills feed to work, but I did manage to find a Patriots feed, which was Bob Soakey and Scott Zolak. And Scott Zolak is a Bob bag <laughs> simple yeah now for two reasons one from the broadcast point of view as a lead commentator it is the job of your co-com to come in at the right times and he is constantly yelping and crying and exclaiming over bob Soki. so from a broadcast point of view that's a pain in the arse and i don't know why bob hasn't sorted that out because if that was me you've got to say look I'm making this call. Once the call is made, in you come, but stop the yelping. But it was basically in the, the post-game show, he was basically saying he was taking apart Buffalo and basically saying Josh Allen is rubbish, he's garbage. Garbage was the word that he used, that he's not a quarterback. I mean, where's a little bit of niceness in victory? You know, there's other ways of saying things. You know, I really don't rate him. I don't think he's good enough. He's got room to grow. But he was just absolutely vile towards him. And I don't like that in any way, shape or form. Scott Zolak is a ball back. Yep. Scott Zolak, not much of an NFL career, to be honest. Uh, played two full seasons with the Patriots in 94 and 95. The two other teams that he was involved with... Well, he ended up on the practice squad for the New York Jets, and he also played a game for the Dolphins. So there's three teams, three teams out of the AFC East. That's maybe why he particularly doesn't like the Buffalo Bills. They said no thanks to Zolak, and maybe he took it personally. It was a little cheap shot. Could do, but I mean, it was horrible. It wasn't even funny. It, It wasn't even particularly snarky. It was just vicious. And I, I just, no, that not not for me. And just while I'm on radio, Greg Papa and Tim Ryan, I listened to them call San Francisco against the Rams. They were excellent. You know, they appreciate they're a home broadcaster, but they looked at it from both points of view and drew the game out really well. Uh, so I've got to give a big shout out to them. Um, so we'll continue with some of these awards before we come on to our owns. Gillian uh, McLaughlin, Belter, Michael Thomas. Uh, obviously broke the record for most receptions in a season. Um, absolutely bright. Did it with what he thought was a touchdown. It got ruled off. He was down at the one. And then eventually it came back and he got the touchdown anyway, which I thought was very fitting. It was. I mean, you've got to give him credit. He's done it with a game to spare. He's not particularly big. He's not what you would typically call a number one receiver. But I'll take him over anybody else in the NFL his his ability to split his ability to look back and sense what's happening is to me second to none and uh, yeah he, he's he's my hero of the week there's no doubt about it and I know I'm biased yeah no Michael Thomas for 145 in a single season to be fair Christian McCaffrey um, most receptions by a running back, and I mean, basically is just a receiver at the backfield. 109 as the Panthers got absolutely spanked. Uh, so Bowfin for Jillian is the Panthers, and his ball bag, or sorry, her ball bag is Odell Beckham Jr. 
who was stropping about all over the place. Not all is well in Cleveland, certainly when it comes to the wide receiver core. Ross Black, he gives out a belter to run CMC for breaking the record, but also Julio Jones. So, you know, we got to give special mention to Julio as well, which is a particularly impressive one. Fewest games to 12,000 receiving yards in NFL history, 125. The little known fact about Julio Jones and people who understand music is that he is a cousin of Paul Simon and they used to play together. So that's where you get the song, Me and Julio Down by the Schoolyard. Absolutely true. I wouldn't lie to you at Christmas. Right, okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> See if you can say things with sincerity. People are eh? <laughs> confident. Um, so Bowfin for Ross Black is... Uh, Freddie Kitchens. Paul's available for um, quizzes as well if you want them, anyone. Um, there's also a gap on the NFL Scotland team that's coming up shortly. Uh, Bouf and Freddie Kitchens. Talented roster, but they are absolutely rubbish to watch. Uh, and then his ball bag are the Cowboys staff making noise about Dak being injured in the run-up to Sunday's game at Lincoln Field. Pull the other one. Um, yeah, he didn't, he didn't look particularly fit. Uh, Big Al, he's been in touch. The belter for him is the Raider Nation. Went down in force to see uh, the Raiders' first win in LA against the Chargers since the Chargers moved there. Baufin are the Chargers fans, if you can actually find some. Once again, it looked more like a home game for the away team there. Uh, and the ball bag is the NFL for sending them there. <laughs> sending yeah. the Chargers to LA. I think that's yeah. fair all round, to be honest. Get back to San Diego where you've got a fan base. Seriously, it's horrible. LA Chargers, don't work for me. Back down to San Diego. Off you go. Tony B, his belter, is lots of nominations for record breakers, but Carson Vents with a win and not a V at the start. Oh, Wentz, not Vents. Oh, Wentz. Carson from, Wentz. From Vents, from Vents he came, yeah. Yes. For carrying the Eagles, hopefully, to NFC East champs. Bowfin for him was the Seahawks totally blowing their seed chances. Eh, eh, um, they still got a chance to win the division, though. And Bob Ag is Zeke Elliott for tapping out in the biggest play of the game. Kespar 84, Belter are the Texans champions once again, as we mentioned, fourth time in the fifth season. Michael Thomas for obvious reasons. And I'm going for Bowfin Bob Ag this week. A Bowfin Bob Ag is Anthony Miller for ruining his championship game in fantasy football. <laughs> going to finish up with Tim Monk from the Full 10 Yards podcast. He simply says, if you have anyone but the Cowboys and Jason Garrett for a ball bag, you've done it wrong. And I think we can, I think it's game over now for Jason Garrett. Absolutely. Now, if we go back a few weeks on the podcast, I told you that the division was theirs to lose. The Eagles were shambolic. The Eagles don't have any receivers whatsoever. And you just can't do this. You cannot do what the Cowboys have done. Now, in his defence, he's got an owner who's almost gives a press conference before the head coach, which is just mind-blowing. Uh, you know, what, what would be, you think, some of the most difficult things in the world, you know, climbing Everest. You know, swimming the English Channel, Jerry Jones in a sponsored silence. You know, it's just, it's just, shut up. I don't mind owners coming out talking when they're winning or coming out and talking, you know, when they have lost or had a bad season. But he's out every week talking and talking and talking. And any coach that wants to go in and work with him, who I think he's a lovely guy. He'd be a great guy, you know, to sit and have a conversation with. He's an interesting guy, loves his football. You know, let the coaching staff do their job 
and stop trying to you know influence and outmaneuver and things like that. Do your stuff in the close season, after season, etc. But I, I'm just getting a little bit tired of the Jerry Jones press conferences. Yeah. And I think that the thing with the Cowboys as well is if you're a fan of them, you must be so frustrated that one week they can look so impressive and then the following week can look so poor. And yeah, Elliot didn't get it going. But I, I, to give him credit, I think that the Eagles are quite good against the run. And I think that that was going to be a tough matchup. But the secondary for the Eagles isn't particularly great at the moment. And I thought that Dak you know, just didn't get anything really going. Had a little bit of a link up with Michael Gallup, but Amari Cooper was a complete non-factor in the whole thing. Uh, it's just disappointing. They just limped through that entire game. And, you know, coming into this game, with beating the Rams 44-21, the week before losing to the Cowboys, uh, the week before losing to the Bills, the week before losing to the Patriots, it's been just disappointing. Uh, and ultimately, yeah, if, if you look at the wins that they've had, it's actually not, they've not really beaten anyone particularly great this year. So they beat the Giants, fine, right? Uh, they beat the Redskins, fine, and then they beat the Dolphins. They lost to the Saints, they lost to the Packers, they lost to the Jets. They beat the Eagles in a convincing one, then they beat the Giants again. Then they lost to the Vikings, they beat the Lions, who have just, we said, had their worst year since 2012. Then they lost to the Patriots, lost to the Bills, lost to the Bears, who've been a complete disappointment. Uh, managed to beat the Rams, and that actually is the one outlier in that whole catalogue of games where you think, oh, that was actually a decent result. And then they limped to that game against the Eagles. It, it's time up, for sure. I think that Dak um, is a good enough quarterback. They've obviously... He's getting money, and that's fine. Uh, Elliot's get his contract. Fine, he is a great running back, but they need someone new. They need to get it freshened up. And, and I think you're right. They need someone that's strong enough that can take on the owner. And, and challenge back and, and be the, the, the single source of truth coming out of that Dallas Cowboys locker room. Because if you've got a head, uh, sorry, an owner that's going to go and mouth off, you don't know the messages that are coming out. And if it doesn't align to your strategy for the week, then you look undermined. And if that happens, there's no way that you're being fully valued by your own dressing room. The respect's just not going to be there. I mean, it's interesting now for Jason Garrett. What do you do when you've been the head coach of arguably the most famous franchise, not the most successful in the last 20 years, but one of the most famous, you know, you are America's team. You know, where where do you go? You know, is a Cleveland job going to come your way? Is a Panthers job going to come your way? What it would do is if somebody was to give him a second chance, he would tell us whether he can coach or not. Because, and, and some people would say he can't, but... You know, he has to go with the whole Dallas sideshow. You know, there was all the Ezekiel Elliott court case stuff last year that he had to live through. You know, in the all or nothing, he came across as a, a pretty decent guy, somebody that players would like to play for. You know, you get all of that. Would he just go into a TV booth and wait for something to come? It's hard to see. It's hard to see you going from the head coach of the Dallas Cowboys to a coordinator somewhere, unless it's for a very good friend of yours. Well, it, it's just a strange one. The where I see it happening is I I see Jason Garrett in Jacksonville. I think that's yeah. where he ends up. I think that's the sort of job and that's the sort of thing that the Jacksonville Jags would do. Um, and they would pick him up and go and give him another opportunity to go to go and play there. As it stands right now, Josh McDaniels is the favourite uh, to go and be the head, next head coach. 
but we've seen with Josh McDaniels already that he hasn't fancied taking a move. Maybe the Cowboys is big enough to pry him away from the Patriots. Urban Meyer, second favourites. Robert Sala, obviously at the Niners, uh, in third favourite. Hands off, thank you very much. Sean Payton then, in at fourth favourite. Trope. That's <laughs> a trope. <laughs> They're not getting them. Nah. I think Urban Meyer ends up being the guy there, to be perfectly honest. I know there's loads of people saying no, that he's going to stay in college, what have you, but I think Urban Meyer is definitely going to be the guy to take over. Uh, that, I think it's, it's, the kind, it's the kind of team you can win a Super Bowl with, Cameron. You can't say that of all the teams. There's some teams that you you know, you know would have to go out and construct over a three, four, five-year period. Dallas has got the lure. It's got the money. It's got know, the it's squad. Got the, it's got, it's got the, well. It's also yeah, exactly. It's got a lot of what's needed at the moment. So you know, the Urban Meyer would certainly you know if he was you know to be offered somewhere like you know go, go to Jacksonville just because you want an NFL job or Miami if they don't stick with Flores, which I think they will. Um, you know, Dallas is one of those places that you think you would go in and immediately start to to build a success out of. So yeah, I I think Urban Meyer for me, is, is where they're going. Um, it's also a bum division, I think, for at least another year. I think that Daniel Jones, you give him another year to progress and learn. I think if Dwayne Haskins is going to be the man in Washington, he still needs time to learn. And obviously the Eagles can be hit and miss themselves. They've certainly got some issues at wide receiver that they need to address. So it's a division that's winnable. And I mean, you look at how poor it is this year, and you're not necessarily expecting a huge amount more. Although Saquon Barkley had a bit of a game, to be fair, to show that he's he is him and Kamara suddenly woke up um, and and had games uh, the weekend. So you know if if the if the Giants can get him back and Daniel Jones can continue to progress, I expect improvement. But you go into that Cowboys team, and if you can keep the core of that together, then you've got a really good chance to win that division. If you can go in with some fresh ideas and mix it up a little bit, because certainly it doesn't feel like ideas are plentiful uh, in. Dallas at the moment so okay right that's us gone through the ones on Twitter Paul you've already given your belter um, yeah and I think I'm going to agree with you I think that the belter has to be Michael Thomas just because it's such an impressive record uh, there's a number of records set there's a couple that we haven't talked about um, the one that comes to mind is that I think uh, Dak, well, Dak Prescott's now the second highest pass yards in a single season. Uh, Russell Wilson is all-time pass leader in Seattle. There's a couple of things there, which is very impressive. But Michael Thomas's record, um, you know, let's give Christian McCaffrey a shout-out. Let's give Julio Jones. Um, also, I believe that uh, Patrick Mahomes is the fastest quarterback to 3,000 yards as well. Yeah. And that's... I- yeah, it's impressive all round. Can I just throw in a couple of things? I mean, I think we've got to give credit to Cincinnati for 23 unanswered points, which is which is pretty impressive. Um, now, it looks like they're going to get LSU's Joe Burrow, uh, yeah. who is from Ohio and he wants. However, it was a great piece of research that I saw. Dan Wilkinson, Kijana Carter, Carson Palmer... Were all drafted first overall by the Bengals, 94, 95. In 2003, none experienced a playoff win with Cincinnati. <laughs> I think that says more about Cincinnati. One quick thing, I'm going to just correct myself. I just said Mahomes fastest to 3,000 yards. That's ridiculous. He did more than that in a season. Fastest to 9,000 yards in NFL history, which he did in 30 games. So it's another shout out um, to Mahomes in that one. But anyway, back to you. Yeah. Yes, the Bengals. How terrible are the Bengals? 
<laughs> I mean, you, you just think, you know, do you keep Zach Taylor? You know, would anybody have done any differently? You know, they pulled Andy Dalton in the middle of the season. They took a look at what the future might be, which I think basically just they decided to write the season off. But they then bring Dalton back. If I'm Dalton, I'm off because it's clear they're going to bring in Joe Burrows and, and I wouldn't want to babysit Joe Burrows. That's not being nasty. I think there's other teams uh, would love to would love to have Andy Dalton because he's just got a steadying uh, presence. And he could also actually be quite good with a really good line in front of him. And it just sometimes were years. I mean, Patrick Mahomes was drafted eight spots after Mitch Trubisky in 2017. So you can decide, you know, at the weekend, he obviously loves having a go at the Bears. Sometimes you just don't know what you've got. And I think Dalton going somewhere else could just be the, you know, the way for his career to blossom somewhere else. It might not happen, but you never know. And it's funny that you mentioned Trubisky because I think that that is, I think that the Chicago Bears move on um, from Trubisky. I think that's a definite now. There's just constant disappointments, to be perfectly honest. He is not the man. Be interesting to see if Matt Nagy keeps his job. But a seven and eight season could end up eight and eight. They've definitely regressed this year. So maybe they give him another opportunity to bounce back. Trubisky, I'm not so sure about. And then it's interesting if you start to look at the best quarterbacks that are potentially going to be available in free agency. The top two names are probably Cam Newton and Andy Dalton. And I think that one of those quarterbacks would be an absolute disaster in Chicago. And it isn't Andy Dalton. I think that the Red Rifle would do particularly well there. I think that Chicago Bears offensive line needs some work. Definitely does. But yeah. he would do a better job of finding his receivers. He would immediately make someone like David Montgomery a bigger threat because he's able to work well with Joe Mixon. And I think that Trubisky just is out of ideas, doesn't have options. And the more and more time goes by, and you look as well, and it's Deshaun Watson was in that draft. And they went for it. They moved up a place to go and get Trubisky. And you just got to look at it and go, what the hell? And at the time, people were like, oh, this seems like a mistake. And then he did all right year one. But... Nah, just, uh, sorry, year one, year two he did all right. Yeah. Um, But it's just, it's been a horrible, horrible year. I think they definitely move on. And if I'm the Bears, I go get Andy Dalton. I think that he showed that he's got enough left in his arsenal to to do what he needs to do. And when the game was on the line, that was massively impressive for the Bengals to come back as late in the game as they did and take that to overtime. Um, Ultimately, you know, it almost felt like Andy Dalton was sticking the proverbial finger up at Joe Burrows. And the number one pick being a quarterback, saying, you know, this is not necessarily what this franchise needs because he's capable. Um, And he is going to be the fall guy, but there's definitely a lot of worse quarterbacks in the NFL than Andy Dalton. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the things we'll do in the close season, because we did it last close season, it was very good, is we'll go back a couple of years and review the draft and see who got it right, who got it wrong. Because let's be honest, and I think a lot of people listening to us know this, teams spend an absolute fortune on analytics, statistics, reviewing game film to try and get the right draft pick. Now, you don't always get it right, and that's pretty clear, but some teams hit more often than others, which tends to suggest they've got a better way of doing it. Yes. So moving on then to week 17, and we're not, like last week, we'll do our pick six uh, picks offline. I'll share them later in the week. Part of the reason for that is I'm not organised enough yet because I'm getting ready for Christmas. I've not picked the games yet. But let's go through and provisionally pick out some of the ones that are sort of semi-interesting. Because of the postseason permutations, 
Chargers at Chiefs is interesting, although it will probably be a pretty convincing Chiefs win. I think that the other ones are obviously Eagles at Giants and Redskins at Cowboys. If the Giants can somehow manage to get a win at home against the Eagles, and it was pretty close when the sides met not that long ago, then that does give the opportunity for the Cowboys to still somehow make it. You've then got Steelers at Ravens, which is interesting for the scenario that involves the Raiders and the Titans. The Raiders at the Broncos is interesting, and the Titans at the Texans is interesting. But perhaps game of the weekend is the 49ers at the Seahawks. Ultimately, the winner wins the division. The lo- and, and could potentially get the number one if it's San Francisco. Uh, the loser ultimately goes into the wild card. But home field advantage is going to come into play for potentially whoever wins this one. Um, that's, a, that's a huge factor. Yeah, it's been just the game of the week. And unusually, uh, because you know I give them a kicking normally, uh, the Monday night football people who pick, which is always the job that I've wanted to do because you can't turn that game out of the schedule. 49ers Seahawks, what, what a game to, to finish off with on the Monday night with absolutely uh, everything on the line. I think that's just fantastic. It's Sunday night. It's not on Monday. Oh, sorry. I'm looking at Monday, th- December the 30th. Yes. My apologies. <laughs> it's Monday morning. If, it's so Monday we'll morning. give you a pass because it does take place a- on Monday, but it's Monday morning this one. <laughs> well, <laughs> So there's no booger. It's NBC. So we're fine. Well, we're saved from booger. He doesn't get the final word on the 2017 season. That is a saving grace. That's my Christmas well, that- gift to you, Paul. Thank you, because I was about to say I was going to refuse to watch it. Um, (laughs) But, okay, so Monday Night Football, as I was saying, you've got to give credit to them for their last game of the season, picking Minnesota in Green Bay, which meant so much. So that makes it easier for the edit. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not editing anything. Um, No, it's an interesting game, but also added to that, Marshawn Lynch. And we're dipping into news now as we sort of start to wind up for this one before Christmas. But Marshawn Lynch back in Seattle, that is a, he, do you know what, he's a big name up there, uh, I, I'm not particularly delighted to see him, I was quite happy to see the running backs get injured, and it meant that they were going to miss out, um, obviously I don't want anyone to be severely injured here, but um, yes, if it helps us, but Marshall Lynch coming back in, fine, he's not played in a while, but he's more than capable of causing damage, even having not played for a while, only 33 years old, which I think is the thing that surprised me the most, I feel like he was around for ages, so um Big name back in Seattle. Yeah, I mean, he's been working out in secret. He has been keeping himself healthy. So I'm not particularly surprised that, you know, and we've we've mentioned this before as well, you know, some players who are not on books, you know, keep themselves going, you know, make sure that they're ready should the call come. And when the call comes, you've got to prove you're to be ready because you cannot live off plus glory. These guys are tremendous athletes. And if you're 10, 15% off of where you normally are, you're not going to work because that's too big a gap uh, to close. So he's fit, he's healthy. And it, it would be somewhat ironic if he does have a big influence on the game, given the fact, you know, there is history with him in the 49ers. There is indeed um, a threat, both in the running game and receiving out the backfield as well. Played six games in 2018 for the Oakland Raiders, still managed to get three touchdowns, was still averaging 4.2 average uh, on his runs, 5.6 receiving through the air. Um, he is a good player. It's as simple as that. Um, and he was huge 
for Seattle. So if he can come in and he can be the factor that helps them win that division, then that would be absolutely massive for them. So fingers crossed that doesn't happen. Uh, that game will be one of the pick six games. And I can tell you now I'll be going Seattle because that's just the way I'm rolling this season. It's just the way I'm rolling. Coward. Um, you do know Marshawn Lynch was serving tequila shots at a parking lot tailgate in Oakland just eight days ago for the Raiders' last game there. <laughs> what 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 a turnaround. What a turnaround that is. It's just utterly tremendous. Uh, so so it's good. It's Any good. other news that you want to bring up before we move on? I, I don't have news, but what I would like to do, and we might share this in the next week, it, we don't talk about college football a great deal, Cameron, but it is college football's bowl season and I think the one I watched this week was the big boy lawnmowers Gasparilla Bowl <laughs> rolls off the tongue it does so uh, now this is a guy called Joe Horning I spotted this a few days ago and I took a screenshot so we will do this offline and we will post these and talk about these next week your bowl game name is so the name of the bowl is the thing you ate just before the last time you threw up oh jeez <laughs> The sponsor uh-huh. is the last place you call customer service to complain. <laughs> okay. The location is the last place you had a flight delayed. Right. Okay, so that's the three things you've got to know. I'll send you this um, via, via Messenger, and we'll, we'll share this, and we'll get some people to get for our NFL Scotland Bowls. What would it be? Um, now, the guy, Joe, Joe himself, he has the A&T Mashed Potatoes Bowl in Fort Myers, which I just thought <laughs> actually sounds like it could be a thing. It um, does, it does. So as a, as a wee funny for Christmas, I think we'll get that out over the next week. And I think we could probably stretch a wee prize to the person that comes out with the best bowl. <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah, fine, let's do that. We'll make this a little Twitter thing. Excellent. Yeah. Um, speaking of uh, interactions and prizes, I have just, in the last couple of days, had confirmation from the good people at McBookies who have sponsored our Pick'em, which is coming into its final week. Uh, the Pick'em competition runs to week 17. It does not go into the postseason. Uh, I'm just bringing up the, the, the leaderboard at the moment to go through it. But we obviously said that the prize was a £100 free bet, yep. an NFL Scotland hoodie, and a signed player shirt. So we've had confirmation. We've been waiting to find out which player it was that the shirt was coming from. The player that it will be, um, it will be an Odell Beckham Cleveland Browns signed jersey, donated courtesy of McBookies. Wow. Which is a great prize. You're telling me this in real time. I had no idea that was happening. I was thinking, I hope we get somebody half decent. Yeah. <laughs> Utterly Wow. Guys at McBookie, salute you for that. That is utterly brilliant. OBJ, Browns jersey, signed. Who wouldn't want that? That is utterly tremendous. Utterly tremendous indeed. So let's go through the the the, the top of the chart because there's a couple of people can still come in and win this. So Max Reed, 1999, got to be the favourite. Currently sitting on his own in number one with 161 points. In second place, we've got two, sorry, three people tied on 159 um, two of these players managed to get 12 last week and have rocketed up into second place. So Jerry Bowlers with 159. Spain and Drew Brees, bowling goalie, all with 159. In fifth place, we have Reluctant Hero with 158. Pistol Manning in sixth with 157. And then there's a few people after that. Um, last year's winner, 
Jambo Jap, the current pick king of Scotland, is currently sitting tied eighth, six picks behind the winner with 155. So it's not over. It's not over for anyone. But, well, it's over if you're out with the, the number of games, because obviously the maximum you can get is 16. But, you know, in theory, he could ha- play an absolute blinder. And and then, let's be honest, week 17 is an absolute crapshoot when it comes to some of these games, because goodness only knows what's going to happen. So, you know, really interesting coming into that. But once again, I want to thank the people at McBookie, because that is an absolutely brilliant prize. You know, really superb. We knew it was going to be a player jersey like you. We didn't know who it was going to be. We were promised it would be someone decent. I didn't expect it to be someone quite as decent. So that really is a tremendous prize. We also have to give a special thank you to all of our listeners as well, Paul, because last week we hit 20,000 all-time downloads, which is a special milestone. We haven't shared it on Twitter. And the reason we haven't shared it on Twitter is we want to share it with the people that are listening. Um, And, you know, 20,000 times we've been downloaded since we started this podcast last January. That's it's quite incredible, isn't it? You know, we we got together. You had the idea of doing this just to have a bit of fun and see what you know what market there was. You know that potentially, you know, for for this, we obviously grew from a you know a small base, and I I mean I'm, I'm genuinely humbled every week that people choose to download and listen to us. The interaction on Twitter is fantastic. That people you know submit you know their various tweets and, and things like that to us and then come along to the live events it is quite humbling the, there's a special community of nfl fans there's just something about it and uh, i love being part of it yeah totally agree uh and it is just you know we we came into just doing this for fun you know with i certainly hadn't been doing anything from a broadcast point of view since leaving fourth and it was an opportunity to just have a blether about a sport that i love doing uh, i've really enjoyed doing the podcast i've loved interacting with all the people i love getting the tweets uh you know people a couple of people have bought hoodies off us and things like that people really engage people are really up for talking about this game in scotland we try and do it from a scottish point of view that limits the size that we can ever get to because we are trying to do it from that scottish point of view so we've not got necessarily the appeal internationally or anything like that we're not necessarily interested in that we love talking about this game and having that scottish hook uh, getting interaction from people all over the world still nonetheless and we've seen you know an increase of over a hundred percent year on year so you know the numbers that we got in 2018 versus 2019 that's absolutely brilliant we would love to increase again next year we ask for your help once again by you know sharing the pod telling people about it help but you know interacting with us on twitter all of that stuff helps get people know that we exist um, and you know let's see if we can continue to grow in 2020 yeah, and we've got some, and I don't want to name names now, we've got some guests lined up uh, for, you know, the closed season, you know, some interesting people, yep. and and that will make a difference as well, but if people have got any ideas, what they want to hear, little segments, anything like that, always chuck them over on the Twitter account, we're always happy to get your ideas and suggestions. Definitely, we've already got some talking points that we're going to cover in the postseason, um, yeah, if there's anyone in particular you'd like us to speak to, get that sent out. Um, one thing that we do have 
already lined up for the postseason. Uh, we're not going to give away too many details at the moment because we're still finalising things, but we will once again be returning to the Golf Tavern, who has been a home of watching NFL in Edinburgh again this season. We'll be going back there for Championship Sunday, which is Sunday the 19th of January. We'll be kicking off as usual, probably about 4 o'clock. Uh, the details will come out nearer the time. In fact, I'm saying 4 o'clock. It depends on the kickoffs, doesn't it? Because they've still to be confirmed. So scrap that. Um Kickoff time to be confirmed, but it will be happening on the 19th of January. Uh, we're going to have another event. We hope people can come along and join us. It was great fun last year, Paul. Loved it. Absolutely loved it. Uh, the you... Saints continue to get horsed on any time we get together. Uh, <laughs> so... You enjoyed the, the event, not necessarily the football and what transpired afterwards. Exactly, but I do have, I've got, and you know what it is, but I'm not going to reveal it. I do have another team's NFL jersey because I, I admire the player greatly. If the Saints aren't playing, I'll have to go with that one. But if the Saints <laughs> are playing, all three Saints jerseys are coming with me for luck. <laughs> Well, that, that might not even help. Um, so, yeah, but we just wanted to share that. So get it penciled in in your diaries. We will be back again for the final live event of the season for us. We really hope if you can come along that you do come along. Like I say, we're already working on guests for that one. A couple of people provisionally lined up at the moment. If we, if both can come along, I think it would be fascinating. I think it would be great to get their take on it uh, and sure to be a really good event. But anyway, right, I think that's it, Paul. It's Christmas Eve. Uh, I've still got stuff to do. So I think that that probably concludes everything for episode 80 of this NFL Scotland podcast. We hope you've enjoyed listening. And again, we'd love to hear your feedback, good and bad. Make sure that you do follow us on Twitter at ScotlandNFL and on Facebook, www.facebook.com forward slash ScotlandNFL. As we've just mentioned, over 20,000 downloads, but we want to continue to keep growing both the podcast and the NFL Scotland community. Please keep sharing if you can. So while you're watching Week 17, remember to keep an eye out for your nominations for our weekly awards. We really do enjoy reading them. Keep telling us your Belter, Bowfin and Bobag nominations. And remember, these three do not apply to your Christmas presents and the people who give them to you. <laughs> like everything you get, people. Don't forget to join us again next week when the playoff picture will be complete. Do have a great Christmas. We hope you all get as much NFL merchandise as you're hoping for. If not, we've got some great giveaways lined up for early 2020. Have a fantastic festive week. We'll see you just before the new year. Enjoy the football coming up. Till then, bye for now. <laughs>